Hey, you are listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministry, visit werfcc.com. We are studying DECA and uh you know, there's always that thought of like on a, on a Father's Day that you would transfer, change what you're talking about. But there's no question, this is going to relate to every dad here. Um, we are looking at the uh, Ten Commandments, and uh, the commandments are not given to ruin our lives. They're not to constrict us. They're to help us to experience what God has designed for us and what He wants for us to have. And I think if we follow the Ten Commandments, then we get a life designed by God. God becomes your life designer. He becomes your family designer. And today we're going to take a look at this uh, third in the DECA series that we're talking about, these ten things of importance for us, these ten life designs for us that we need to take on. And it's in this third command that we read in Exodus chapter 20. Verse 7, just one verse. We have had several verses on these other commands to help kind of help us to understand. It's just one verse. Exodus 20, verse 7 reads this way. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The greatest father of all times wants nothing more than that we respect him. And I just ask the question, what dad in the room doesn't want to be respected? I think you understand. Because, I mean, what's the big deal about a name anyway, right? Does it really matter whether or not we say his name appropriately or inappropriately? I mean, what could possibly happen to a world, to a family, to a relationship, to a friendship, to a community, even to a church that doesn't keep the third commandment, misuse of the name of the Lord. What could possibly happen? Look around at what could happen to a world that misuses his name. There's a lot to a name and a lot to its usage. And skip off of that for a moment just to laugh for a little bit. Um, You may have heard about a rapper maybe sometime in your lifetime called Puff Daddy. Puff Daddy decided to change his name in 2001 to P. Diddy. That's a big difference. Puff Daddy to P. Diddy. But he wasn't satisfied with that. He continued to keep changing his name. So he went through a bunch of legal kinds of things. Multiple times he changed his name. You can look it up. Probably doing it right now. Uh, but, but his present name, I think. I think his present name today is Sean Love Combs, which isn't any close to Puff Daddy or P. Diddy. But it is his name nonetheless. And uh, maybe some of us have even thought about, like, our name, you know, I wish I could change my name. I don't really like it. I don't like my middle name, that kind of thing. But Paul Dickinson has written a book, actually, simply put, called Names. And he wrote a bunch about names. I've already had people coming up to me and telling me all the names that they've grown up with. And we all have them. Like, why did you name your children that? Um, mine, Mine right now that I would tell you, I have an uncle whose name is Ivan. His last name is Oder, Ivan Oder. Like, why would you do that? And then on top of all of that, they would have a second child, and they would name him Boots Odor. Like, really? What, what's wrong with you people? Um, and that's supposed to be a good thing. 
But here's a list of names that this man found that I thought were fun to share with you. In 1941, he found that there are two men who were executed in the electric chair in a Florida state penitentiary, and their names were <laughs> Will Byrne <laughs> and Frizzle. <laughs> Ouch. Recently, there was a Montreal uh, window washer that he cited who died by accident falling as he was washing windows. His name was Will Drop. Ouch. Uh, other occupations that kind of fit what it is that you do name-wise, he found a name of a person who coached baseball. His name was Joe Bunt. He found a barber whose name was Dan Druff. He found a podiatrist whose name was Jeff Treadwell. And then this was a favorite one for me. He found two police officers who were also partners by the last names, no lie, go forth and catch them. I love it. Go forth and catch him. Go get him, you know. And then there was this prayer partner church equipment group with the two last names, O'Neill, O'Neill, and Pray. He found a psychologist whose name was Wonderfully Tremble, a gynecologist whose name was Zoltan Overy, a plaster contractor whose name was Will Crumble, and a dentist called Dr. Moeller. Why would you do these things to your children? Why so serious about a name, Brian? What's the big deal about the name of God that we have to be so serious about? Because it's a representation of who we are. And we all represent a name or some name. And people want our name to be recalled and remembered in a good way. God is no different. Three things about what's so serious about a name that he represents. First one would be this. Reputation. Reputation is what... It, what, what your name is connected with. When we think of your reputation, it's what your name is connected with. The God of the universe has a reputation. His names describe his reputation. You know, there's only one God, but in some way beyond our human comprehension, he represents three distinct persons. The Father, the Son, we also know as Messiah and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. God is described as as Alec has already told us today, some 1,500 times. He found one that had a whole lot more than I did. I found 995. I didn't count them all, but I'm sure we have names upon names upon names of God. And they all define his reputation, what he's connected to, what's important to him. And I'm just going to share with you today just the A's, the things that start with A, describing God. There's so many more, but just pick up the reputation of God by the names I'm getting ready to say. Here they are. A, Abba. Daddy, Adam, Adonai, Advocate, Almighty, Almighty God, All-Sufficient One, Alpha and Omega, the Amen, Ancient of Days, Anointed One, Apostle and High Priest, an Atoning Sacrifice for Sins, Author and Finisher of Our Faith, Author of Eternal Salvation, Author of Life, and Author of Peace. You and I find out the reputation of our God simply by calling Him by name. But we also find out in a name, we find out that there's character involved. And in character, we're not talking about like, you're, you know, like, oh, well, he's a real character. We're talking about someone's behavior, so it could be. In Old Testament times, we would have people listed with their names, sometimes because of their character. In fact, it was sometimes bad character that we named them what we named them. But you remember the movie Dances with Wolves, right? How did he get the name Dances with Wolves? His character, who was found out in the middle of the prairie trying to get around the wolves who were around his place. And he was trying to get them away. Dances with Wolves. It was his character. You ever talked about a name 
maybe for your child or your grandchild, and you went, nope, can't, can't name that because I know somebody that reminds me of their character. Like, well, I would never name them that, right? So when we think of God's character, we think of how God has showed himself to us through his word, through his attributes, through the titles given in scripture, through his works and his deed, all of it's wrapped up in God's name, and God's name is significant to God's character. The name that God gave himself is Jehovah. This is God's personal name, a name that means I will be with you. I'll show you who I am by my actions. I'll be there with you. You can't misuse God's name without seeing God's character. Name and character are tied together. And then this last piece in regards to just identifying what's so important about a name is authority. Authority. What respect does it have? Is that a respected name in authority? How many of us have command authority simply by a name? Let me give you just a few names of who we kind of command and respect authority. I can say it this way now. King Charles. I mean, we could have called him Prince before. We still had given respect. Now I've got to give him a little bit more. There's a bow and a curtsy that needs to really get involved in all that now. Another name that kind of commands authority, Mr. T. Man, if I had Mr. T preach this morning, you know, chains and all. A pity the fool, you know, like I love it. A pity the fool. There's like, come on, bring it. It'd be awesome to listen to the gospel preached by Mr. T. How about the name King Kong? Respects authority. And then, of course, if it's going to have God's name in it, Godzilla, uh, we'd want to have respect for that. But what's the name that don't deserve respect? Now, here's one that I think many of you would know, some of you would know. If I said the name Hugo, doesn't really command respect of authority at all. In fact, Saddam Hussein, anybody naming their children that anytime soon? How about Jezebel? Or how about Satan? Not exactly names that we would have respect for. God's name is tied to God's authority. And when we say, as we do many times here, in Jesus' name, we're praying using the authority of Jesus, a name that represents the person and the sense in the person of who he is. And that's why God says, take my name seriously. Jehovah, it's a redemptive name that God gave to his people at the one who delivered them from bondage. It's the name of the God who keeps his covenant and his promises with his people. It's a name that speaks of God's faithfulness to us. And God is saying in this number three of this deco, when you build a family, when you build a family and you don't take my name seriously, you're headed for trouble. My name is my reputation, my character, and my authority. Don't use it flippantly. Why so serious about the misuse of the name? Three things on why so serious about the misuse of his name. First off, it offends God. Obviously, in his first commandment, he wants us to know he's offended by it. And for every reason I just talked about, he wants us to know this third command and that he's offended at its misuse. In one sense, let's just say it this way, misusing God's name doesn't do damage to God. Our God's a big God. He can handle whatever you want to call him. Like sticks and stones, you're speaking to the God of the universe. He's not going to be bothered by that. But he wants you to respect him. And he's offended when you don't. And what I think of God doesn't change who God actually is. In another sense, God does care what we call him. Listen to what God communicates us to us later in Leviticus chapter 22, verses 31 through 33. It says this, keep my commandments and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane 
my holy name, for I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who made you holy and who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Here's the thing about offending God. God is to be obeyed, not controlled. And I think so many of us want to try to control God. And we think that just by simply calling out his name whenever we want to say it, when it's not used appropriately, that somehow we're being obedient to him. We're not being obedient to him. We're trying to control him. And, it's, and we are far from controlling God. Misusing his name doesn't hurt God. It hurts you. And no one wants to control God. It won't work out for Bruce Almighty. It won't work out for you either. Because he's the king and I'm not. Secondly, I would say it not only offends God, but it damages us. Our relationship with him gets damaged when we misuse his name. The second part of the command says, For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Revelation, or sorry, Leviticus again. If I can go back to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 13 through 16, it says it this way. About, this, about these words, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble with getting that for you. I'm in Exodus, that's why. There we go. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 13 through 16. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside of the camp, and all of those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, If anyone curses his God, he will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him, whether an alien or native-born, whether he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death. Now, just so we're clear, the words you choose to use today won't get you stoned. But they will keep you from experiencing the complete blessing of God that you could experience. I would say it this way. It's like opening up an umbrella and having the showering of his grace dump down on you, but you never getting to experience it. You're never getting a chance to feel it because God is revered. He is to be revered. Psalm chapter 29, verse 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor and in his holiness. Reverence is honor and respect that's deeply felt, outwardly demonstrated because of the Lord God's awesome power and his majesty. He's deserving of the highest level of reverence. Reverence for God is a quality, I think, that's sometimes missing in much of Christianity today. And once we truly know who God is, we have reverence for him in our hearts. Because even the thief on the cross, remember him? Even the thief on the cross recognized who Jesus was and he rebuked the other thief for his irreverence. In fact, he said, don't you fear God? Do you know who you're talking to? And Jesus said it when he taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. The very beginning, he said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And when we don't do this, we bring damage to ourselves. And the third area that, that really hurts in regards to all of this is that it's harming to others. Damages us, harming to others, defends God. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gets in on the action, helps us with a little bit on how we harm others. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 34 through 37, it says, But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes. And you're no, no. Anything beyond this comes 
from the evil one. He's actually telling us to be careful about how we speak and that we would speak truthfully to one another. It's a main idea in God's God's misuse of his name. It happens when we call God to witness a contract or a vow and then break that contract. And it certainly harms those with whom we've made promises to. Another way that we can harm others that we get close to is how we speak about God and how we might use his name as an expletive. It's used all the time. In fact, we use it in our text with an OMG text. For me, I would just remove that from communication. Like, you don't need to communicate that way. You can respond another way without using I know it's there, and the button's right there, and you can push in. It's just a real quick way. You don't have to type anything. Find another way to say it because it damages our relationships with others. Sometimes with those that we don't understand why. Why would we speak this way about God? If we really are who we say we are, it ruins our relationships sometimes with other believers. Kind of like the farmer who was late getting home for dinner. His wife said to him, hey, did the wagon break down again? The farmer said, no. On the way home, I offered a ride to the minister. And from that point on, the mules didn't understand a thing that I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't it interesting how we can hold back when we need to? We know who to say it with. We know who not to say it with. We know where to be careful. Where, where, where we'll go, hey, uh-uh, we don't talk like that here. And then all of a sudden, we talk like that here. We'll get more on this idea about explosives in a minute here. But how is the name misused? How is God's name misused? Uh, Jack Cottrell in his book, The Ten Commandments, His Holy Way, great book, uh, really helpful in this study that I have. He lists three ways that we misuse God's name. I'm going to give the three that he said. One of them is perjury. Perjury would be descriptive of our vows, our promises that we make. And God uses promises all the time throughout Scripture. We hear him say in Genesis chapter 22, verse 16, through an angel, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. I swear by myself, declares like, I'm promising on top of that promise. The law of Moses included the Israelites to swear oaths to the name of God. Leviticus 19, verse 12 said this about those promises. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of, my God, of your God. I am the Lord. See, a promise is when we're lying. And one person defined perjury this way, calling on God to witness to a lie. You got to keep the vows that we make. And this would include our marriage vows and business contracts and personal promises made to other people. I like what J.I. Packer said when he said, the godly man will make promises cautiously, but keep them conscientiously. Jack Cottrell says, and his second thing for us is that we have the words profanity, words, expletives that we use, taking God's name to profane it. Profane it means making something exalted and lifted high and making it common and ordinary or impure. And profaning God's holy name is profaning God himself. And when we say things like, oh my God, or Jesus Christ is a curse word, some people object and they say, I really didn't mean anything when I said God or Jesus like that, but that is exactly what's wrong with it. You've emptied God's name of meaning, and you're just using his name as a common curse word. You ever wonder why people use Jesus' name as a curse word, and they don't do it with other religious leaders? Like if you drop the rock on your foot, you don't go, oh, Buddha. Or, you know, you hit your hand with a hammer, and you go, oh, Muhammad. You know, we don't, I believe it's because Jesus truly is God. And the same world that uses God's name in vain also tries to empty the name of Jesus of its majesty and its power. And many of these people are not familiar with God. They don't know who he is. And so those who use God's name as a swear word are not really on speaking terms with him. And that's because we know that that person who knows true reverence knows God's name as the doorway to the audience of being with the Lord God Almighty. Third word that Jack lists is hypocrisy. 
It's our actions. Everything that we do reflects on the name of God. It says in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. And when we honor God with our lips and not with our hearts, our actions, we're misusing his name. Because in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we found, found out that the disciples were actually called Christians first at Antioch in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. That is, so we're clear, the name that all of us now are represented by. Christians. Little Christ. A representation of who he is. So when someone says you're being a hypocrite, sometimes we have to observe whether actually we are. Because we have taken on his name and how we behave is a direct influence on the name and reputation of the one we hold close to us. How do we carry the name of Christ in vain? But what are the best parts of his name? The best parts of what we see in God's great name um, that I just want to kind of clear up before we, we get done here. His name brings significant consequences. Now hold on to that. That doesn't sound like something that's the best part of his name. I'll get to that in a second. But we see in the word... Uh, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, the word guiltless. Guiltless. God will judge those who take his name in vain. And the word guiltless comes from a verb meaning to empty or clean or to clean or be pure. And when God holds you guiltless, you have a clean record, an empty slate. There's an irony here. And those who empty God's Empty God's name of honor and meaning will have their slates emptied or be cleaned of their sin. This is the sin that God will not acquit or leave unpunished. Notice it's the Lord who's going to judge you in all of this matter. And men may choose to excuse it on some other matter. But God will not hold the person guiltless who misuses his name. Now, here's the good news. Because you're like, how is this a good thing about his name? The consequences we deserve, we don't get. Because of Jesus. That's an amazing piece to me. The consequences of what we deserve, because he's, we're not going to get acquitted from that. The, the, the consequences we deserve, we get acquitted from that because of what Jesus has done. His death on the cross for us. It's what draws us to a moment of communion. It's the great part of the consequences, I suppose, of what I'm going to say. Who gets the consequences? You? No. Me? No. He gets the consequences. He dies in place of us. I'm going to ask you if you would to grab the communion that's nearby you. Because here at our church, even on Father's Day, we're going to celebrate and remember what the Lord has done together as one body, united, unified as one body in Christ. It's what Christ Jesus has come to die for. Thank God once again for Jesus. He came to be our Savior, another good name. He died to take the punishment for your sin that you would not have to. And once you've broken God's commandments, there are only two choices. Either you'll pay the punishment for your sin or you'll place your trust in Jesus who died to take that punishment for you. And God offers you and me forgiveness of sins through Christ Jesus. Hear it in Hebrews chapter 9 before we partake together. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says this. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Thanks be to God that he has names like Savior, like Redeemer, like Rescuer, names that you and I need to hear even today. Let's bow our heads and thank him for that.
Lord God, we come in need of forgiveness because we have done the things that we've just been talking about. We've not kept our promises. We've been hypocrites. We've used your name inappropriately. And we are guilty as charged. An Old Testament law would say we'd need to be stoned, but I'm so grateful that you came and you did away with that once and for all in your death on the cross for us. You redeemed us and you became propitiation. You took on our sins so that we would not have sin, that we would be seen as righteous because of your sacrifice and your love for us. And not only did you die for it, but then you beat death and you live again. We thank you so much for the cross now, for what it means in redeeming us and rescuing us. We thank you for the forgiveness because of the blood that was shed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And now church family, would you take this bread and remember the body of our Savior who was nailed on a cross on your behalf. And would you take the cup, drinking it, remembering that blood had to be shed so that you could be clean as we drink and remember him. second piece for us in regards to why the the greatness of, of who he is and what his name is his name is holy we've already sung that holy 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 is the lord god of you know some people are like why we can't i keep repeating these things like this is what we're going to get to do a whole lot more of first peter chapter 1 verse 15 and 16 says but just as he who has called you is holy so be holy in all that you do for it is written be holy because I am holy. Another word that we might use that we don't say very often around here is the word transcendent. Transcendent actually means beyond or qualitatively different. That's, that's holiness. Live differently because of his name. The Jews wouldn't even pronounce God's name. They, they wouldn't allow themselves to say it out loud. They held it in such awe. When they were writing it, a copyist was fearfully cautious First, he bathed himself completely, and he put on all of the Jewish dress that he needed to. And this is amazing to me. He would never dip his pen in the ink in the middle of writing the name of God. Like, you got to make sure you get enough ink on your pen, because you don't want to make a mistake and running out in the middle of his name. Have to come back and start over again. Indeed, a king who would address him while he's writing the name Yahweh, the copyist would ignore him completely. Transcendent, beyond or qualitatively different. A third area and greatness about his name is that his name is hallowed. We already kind of talked about this, but it means it's taken seriously. And to honor his name means that we all uphold his nature and his character and his personality in reverence. But what's in a name? We found out there's a whole lot in a name, especially when it comes to trading your name and your business, right? If a well-known company wants to sell you its business for, let's say, $5 million, if you want to continue to use the company's name... They're going to add another $5 million on it just to have you have their name. Because their name is not going to be a bad name. You have to pay for our good name. So instead of just buying the company for five, you're going to have to buy our company and our name for ten. Because the company's name is worth it. God's name is to be hallowed. And that means that you and I are not on God's level at all. God is not on our level. We'll try to choose the same level as him. It's what happened in the garden at the very beginning. You can be God. Oh, that sounds fun. No, you don't want to do that. We see that we want to try to lower ourselves or lower him to ourselves so that we can put God on our level. And it helps us to appreciate, it helps us to better appreciate all that he's done for us when we keep him at the level that he needs to be kept at. Hallowed is his name. A fourth area of greatness for us is that his name is powerful. 
The names of God had power to create the world itself, to drop walls in Jericho, to open up water in the Red Sea, to make donkeys talk, to give all the strength to a single man, and create never-ending oil and meal for a woman who had nothing. Then Jesus comes along, and what does he do? He raised people from the dead, walked on water, created an abundance of food when needed, healed a man with a withered hand, uh, made the blind see, took away a woman's bleeding, redeemed the world, and raised from the dead power in the name of our God. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, Paul says it this way, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us all who believe. That power, as he described it, is the same as the mighty strength exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That is the kind of power in the name that he has. Now, some of you in this audience today don't know who Merv Griffin is. Just know that he was a talk show guy. Some of you go, that's really, you're really like talking your age. Right, that's fine. It's a talk show thing. That happened where he invited guests to come on. And Merv Griffin interviewed Charlton Heston, another name you probably don't know. Famous actor who played Moses in the Ten Commandments, also starred in a movie called Ben-Hur. Mr. Griffin asked Mr. Heston if any of the characters he'd betrayed in his religious movies had changed his spiritual outlook at all. Well, Heston hesitated for a moment, and he simply said, Well, Merv, you can't walk barefoot down Mount Sinai and be the same person you were when you went up. That sounds like something he'd say. It's true for us, too. We can't get too close to God. Know him in the intimate ways that we have just sung to him about, and then toss his name around lightly. His name's powerful, and it demands our respect all the time, not just here. Here's the last and probably greatest piece of, of the goodness of his name. His name, God's name, is above every other name. No name is higher. No matter who we want to try to slide into the position of making higher, there's no one higher than him. No name can save you. Only the name of Jesus can save someone's soul to be forever redeemed. Acts chapter 4, clarity comes in Acts chapter 4. Whenever we meet up with a, a particular a, a raising of someone, and uh, now we're going to explain it all, we find it in Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, how we're supposed to see who God is. Verse 10 says this, Now this you know, all people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No other name. His and his alone. I started thinking about what's in a signature when I started thinking about this. I don't know how many things I've signed in my life. But I sign a lot of things. Every time I want to do anything, I've got to sign my name. They want to see my signature somehow, some way. You put a stamp on it to show who you really are. It doesn't matter if you're purchasing, if you're getting a loan, purchasing a vehicle, or opening up a bank account, starting a college fund, or voting. Your signature means something. They want to know who you are. 
In fact, what you sometimes have to do is get a notary. And getting a notary is a really kind of weird kind of process in our world where you get somebody else who's qualitatively authoritative enough to look at you and watch you sign something and then say that's who you are. All they're really doing is saying, I saw you sign that, I witnessed it, and I'm official, I represent official people, and so your name is good. And I started thinking about this in regards to this Deca thing and this third commandment. God does no different. His name is above every other name. His name identifies our name and whose name we're with. Like my signature counts because his signature's on me. He stamped his approval on me. So let me just ask you, if you would, in all of this stuff, that you would just take a look inward for just a moment. And you might even have to close your eyes for this, to just to be able to do it so you don't remove the distraction. But I want you to evaluate yourself for just a moment. Search your innermost heart, your deepest motives, your attitudes toward other people. And ask yourself, because I, again, I, I want to think that every time we preach a sermon, this sermon's for somebody else. Like, that would be the biggest farce ever. This sermon is for all of us. Every one of us have to have this addressed in our lives. And so I just ask you to look at your daily schedule, your routine, your list of priorities. And then I would ask this question, can he notarize your life? If not, he wants to. His name is the only one that can save, the only one that can redeem, the only one that can set you free from being too important. And why not come to him today? Knowing that if you would take a step and relying on Christ Jesus, it would be the best step, the most amazing step you would ever take because there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name in all of heaven for which people need to be saved. You can call on the name of Christ Jesus today, and it can be as simple as, Jesus, please save me. Save me from me. And if you could take that step, it would be the most important step you'd ever take. So what do we do with this command? What, what needs to be done? I have three things that I would say with some verses that would help us what we need to do with this command. I would challenge you to walk in God's name with titles of respect. That you would live in respect with him. Micah chapter 4 verse 5 says this, All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And then I would also say it this way, spreading the honor of his name everywhere. Making sure you tell it to somebody else. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 8 says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for, your, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. To make him famous is our job. To make his name known is up to us. And then I would say this, that you need to bear his name unashamedly. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16 says it this way. However, if you suffer as a Christian, and hear this part, because we all have, and you might be today. If we suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Praise God that you bear that name. Whatever you got going on. Be proud to know that you hold on to his name, whatever it is that's happening. As our team comes and we close here today, I share this story. American 19th century author Henry David Thoreau, whose name I'm sure isn't always pronounced correctly. You know what I mean? Like he wants his name pronounced correctly. He wrote this, and this is a quote from him. He said, a name pronounced is the recognition of the individual to whom it belongs. And he who can pronounce my name all right 
He can call me, and he's entitled to my love and service. And there's a sense that Henry David Thoreau's statement is actually the statement I've been telling you that God and Christ Jesus are saying to us today. He who can pronounce my name all right, he can call me and is entitled to my love and to my service. So who is this Christ Jesus? Whose name is it that we so gillibly sometimes use in our culture? Jesus is the one who can forgive all of our sins. He can wipe away all of our guilt. He can heal all of our hard, deepest hurts. He can restore our dignity again. The name of Jesus means Savior. And the name Jesus carries power. So I conclude with this verse before we sing. One more time about the greatness of his name. At the very end of John, he writes these words. John 20, verse 31. And he concludes with this summary statement, as I will today. But these things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Oh, how I want you to have life because you have his name attached to you. Not this church's name, but his name attached to you. I want you to have life, and I want you to live life, and I want you to have it to the fullest. Thank you for listening to audio from Fairfield Church of Christ in Fairfield, Ohio. To learn more, get connected, or to support our ministries, visit werfcc.com.